good morning, good morning, church, and welcome back to our series. We're in this great series called Leverage. And I, I love this series. I love the feedback and what God's teaching us and the way God's growing us as we leverage everything He's entrusted us for His name and for His glory. Now, the definition of leverage that we're using comes from the dictionary, a great place for definitions, but it's this one, it, to use something to maximum advantage, to use something to maximum advantage. So we talked about how do we leverage the time that we've been given. We all have the same amount of time in a day, right? But how do we leverage that? What do we do with that for the glory of God? We talked about how do we leverage our education? You know, we're in the one most educated uh, counties in the United States and one of the most educated countries in the world. How do we leverage that not just to build our own kingdom, but to further God's kingdom? And last week we talked about how do we leverage the resources that are entrusted to us, right? The gifts and the talents, the financial gifts. And how do we leverage that to make God's name great? And not just our own, right? So that one day we stand before God and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Great job. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. You've been awesome steward of what's entrusted to you. And today we want to talk about this. How do we leverage our difficulties? How do we leverage our pain? How do we leverage our hardships and our trials? And then next week we'll talk about how do we leverage the platform that God has given us to further His kingdom. Uh, you know, my kids, uh, they always love going to the Adventure Science Center, right? Some of you, you know that if you got small kids, they love going there. And there's all these different exhibits and all the things. They got these great slides and everything else. But there's one exhibit there where you have this car, right? And it says, can you lift a car? And you're thinking, no, I can't lift a car. You know, thanks a lot. You know, but, you know, you see, you go and you see this car, and then it's all hooked up to these straps, and it goes up, and there's a lever that comes over, and there's a rope on the other side, and it shows kids. It's teaching them physics and the power of a lever, and so you can come over to this rope. And when my kids were little; they would love to swing on the rope, you know, and they're trying everything they can to move it. And then I would come over, and then with all of us together, we could pull on this rope and this lever and watch the car be lifted. It was amazing. And the kids were like, yeah, we're lifting a car. You know, look at this. Check it out. It was Archimedes who said, right, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I will move the world. <laughs> and the fulcrum is Jesus Christ. And when we place everything there, when we leverage that for the glory of God, God can move a car. God can move mountains. God can change the world. As we trust him, as the Father comes and just goes, watch this. <laughs> Trust me, hold on to my strength and watch me move the difficulties and the challenges in your life because I'm with you always. I'm always here. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of James. James chapter one, James chapter one. Now, if you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles in the back. Love for you to take one or we'll put the scripture on the screen. James is kind of toward the back of the New Testament. Hebrews, James, 1st, 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation. So it's right back there toward the, the very back. And I want you to see this today because this is so good. We're going to be in the first eight verses uh, this morning. But James was written by Jesus' half-brother. Okay? So, right, Jesus was born, born fully man, born of Mary, uh, but also fully God, born of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus had earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. But Joseph and Mary, after Jesus, went on to have some other kids, and James was one of them. Now, can you imagine the inferiority complex of growing up in that house, right? 
Mom's like, James, why can't you be more like your older brother? He's like, he's perfect. You know, like, I mean, you're just like, I can't ever live up to that, right? And James, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't believe until after the resurrection. And then Jesus appeared to him. You're reading 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, and Jesus appears to him. Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he was resurrected. And James is like, you're the son of God. I knew it. You never messed up. You know, you were perfect. And look at that. He's, he is the Messiah. Now think about this. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he's the Messiah? I mean, right? I mean, like, that, that's a pretty big thing, you know? I mean, this James lived with Jesus. He watched him all these years growing up. I mean, he saw his traveling ministry, and then he saw him be crucified, and he saw him be resurrected, and he said he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. James goes on to become a pastor of the early church. So there, there's James, there's Peter, there's John, and the early church, you know, at Pentecost, 3,000 people believe right there in Jerusalem. I mean, it wasn't a small church. I mean, it was a big church, but they met in the temple courts. They had corporate worship like we do. Then they met in homes and had small group Bible studies, you know, just like we do, right? They had community groups and men's studies, women's studies, and, and they were growing and things were great. In Acts chapter 2, and then Acts chapter 3 and 4, and the church is growing, got up to 5,000 men, right? I mean, there's people that were coming and children, women and children, everybody was there. And then Acts 6 and 7, persecution breaks out against the church in Jerusalem. So they were being persecuted by, by the Judaism, the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, but also the Romans. And so the people had to flee. And so many of them, they, I mean, they left their homes, they left their jobs, they left their family and went throughout the Roman Empire and were living with relatives there. And so James comes along and he writes this letter. Man, you can just see his pastor heart. He's writing this letter to the people who've been scattered, to the people who are part of the church, the body of Christ, but they're in different places and he says in verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love how he identifies himself. It doesn't go, hey guys, this is James, you know, brother of Jesus. You know, <laughs> this is James, your pastor. He just says, my identity is this. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you meet people and they're like, hey, what do you do? You know, or you know, tell me about your family. And you're like, well, I'm a servant of God. I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's has me here for these 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it is, but I'm going to serve him. I'm going to bring glory to his name. And he writes, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, you know, all the Jewish Christians that are scattered out there. He says, greetings. And then he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? No, no, hey, hey, consider it pure joy when you win the lottery, right? You know? Or consider it pure joy when you get a raise, right? Or consider, no, but consider it pure joy when you face trials? What's he saying there? When you face trials, many come. I mean, these are persecuted people. These are people who've had to flee. They've left everything. They've lost it all, and they've gone to these places. And he says, wait, there's something bigger happening here. Here's why you consider it joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. God's doing something in your life. God's doing something bigger than you can see right now. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's growing you. He's maturing you. Hey, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
Now that's a pretty incredible promise right there, right? Maybe you walked in today and there's something going on in your life and you're just like, God, I don't understand. Why is this happening? I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. And he's saying, well, ask. Ask God. God, give me wisdom. God, you will give generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. You think James is speaking out of experience here? It's like I spent all those years doubting. I spent all those years like trying to figure it out. And then when I believed and I saw he is the son of God, man, my life was transformed. You know, but that person who doubts, I mean, he should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It comes back to believe God's got something for you. God's doing something in your life. God hasn't given up on you. God is with you and God is for you. So if you're taking notes today, here's some things I want you to get because this is important today. I would really love for you to write some things down. First of all, how do we leverage our difficulties for the glory of God? How do we leverage our difficulties? Because we're all gonna face them. We're all gonna go through them. And James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So notice this. First of all, notice and understand that in this life, we will have difficulties. You're going to face them. Maybe you're going through one right now. Maybe you're in the middle of relationally or financially or, or someplace in your life and there's a challenge or there's a struggle. We are all going to face them. Notice that James doesn't say if you face trials, but whenever you face trials. He doesn't say, hey, consider pure joy if you go through a trial or difficulty. He says, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds that those things are gonna come, those struggles, we're gonna go through those things. Distinguish between first world problems and difficulties. Guys, we live in such a nice place and God has given us so much and he wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to have a great life. God is so good. But a lot of times we have first world problems, right? Like, oh no, I, I spilled my non-fat latte. It's just like wrecked my whole day. And I mean, it's like, Really? You know, I mean, my Apple Watch is not sinking. I mean, you know, okay, sorry. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, you're standing in your closet. I have nothing to wear, right? You got all these, like, all right, those are first world problems. I can't make it to church because it's raining and I don't want to sit in my air-conditioned car with my windshield wiper. You know, I mean, come on, those are first world problems. We have first world problems. But listen, we will go through real difficulties, there are real challenges. There are real struggles that we face. And then some people say, well, why does God, you know, cause pain and suffering? Well, God doesn't cause it, but God allows it. And God allows it. And here's the thing. Many times there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the pain. This summer, if you're going to be like going to camp out and having a fire, you're going to be grilling out. And if your kids come by or your grandkids come by, and you're going to say, whoa, 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 stay away from the fire, right? It's hot. It's hot. You know, don't touch the grill. It's hot. It's hot. And sometimes they're going to reach over and, and touch real quick, but then they're going to pull back. Why? Because it's painful. It's painful. And praise God for that pain. I mean, otherwise, without that pain, what would they do to that fire? They would just keep going. Right, it would consume them. If you look back on your life, probably some of the most painful, challenging times were the times that you go, oh, man, I felt God there. 
And it was the pain that got me out of a relationship that I shouldn't have been in. You know, this guy broke my heart so many times and man, I could have ended up and it would have been a disaster, but God got me out of that. God got me out of that. Sometimes there's pain in a job loss and you're like, how did I lose this job? God, what's gonna happen? And then God provides something so much better and you're like, I could have stayed in that for 20 more years. God, thank you, you know? Someone once said, pain is God's megaphone for getting our attention. Hey, pull back, pull back. But we will go through difficulties. Jesus went through difficulties. So why are we surprised when we face them? Sometimes we have this misconception that if I'm following God, I'm in the center of God's will, then everything's gonna be perfect. Wrong, right? Sometimes we think, well, I'm not gonna have any struggles. I'm not gonna have any difficulties. No, you could be in the center of God's will and still go through struggles. Jesus was. Jesus faced them. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he says in John 16, 33, He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble or maybe you'll have trouble or you might possibly. No, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, exclamation point. I've overcome the world. (laughs) Take heart. (laughs) I can move the mountain. Take heart. I'm strong enough to lift the car. Guys, we're going to face challenges. You know that. I know that. What are you going to do in the midst of it? How are you going to leverage that? Jesus faced him. Paul faced him. James faced him. You know, James was martyred for his faith, A.D. 62. Gave his life for Christ. It happens. So here's number two. Recognize we live in a fallen world. Recognize we live in a fallen world. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith. Guys, your faith will be tested in this world. And that shouldn't surprise us. I mean, we live in a world where it's countercultural to be a Christian. It's countercultural to follow Jesus, right? The world's all about me, 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 my, my, my. And when you come along and say, I want to love, and I want to serve, I want to give, your faith is going to be tested. People are like, well, why do you go to church? And why do you take your kids to church? Why do you pray? Why do you invite me to church? Why do you do? There ought to be some places in our lives where we are feeling a little bit of persecution because it should be countercultural. Now, praise God, we live in a place where we don't go to prison. You know, there's more martyrs for the Christian faith today than at any other point in history. I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ are going to jail or giving their lives, but we live in a place where we're free, praise the Lord. But we ought to be growing in our faith. We ought to be living for the glory of God. And there ought to be some pushback sometimes because our faith is different than the world. This world is not perfect. Why? Because people are sinful. (laughs) People go, well, why did God create suffering? You know, God created the world. It was perfect. And we go back to the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2. God created Adam and Eve, and he put them in a garden, and it was perfect. I mean, it was perfect. They were in right relationship with God. They were in right relationship with each other. I mean, it was awesome marriage. I mean, it was fantastic. They even got to name the animals. How cool would that be? I mean, they were all there, and it was beautiful in Genesis 1 and 2. And then Genesis 3 comes along, right? And in Genesis 3, God had told him, hey, 
all of this is yours. I want you to enjoy life. I've made it for you to enjoy these things. Just stay away from this one tree. All of this is yours. But this one tree, just stay. Just stay away from that. You're thinking, well, why did God even create the tree? But God in his sovereignty said, I don't want to just create a bunch of robots. <laughs> and so I'm going to give you the choice because I want you to love me. I want you to be in relationship with me. And really, is it love if you can't choose it? I mean, don't you want your spouse, don't you want them to choose to love you? They're not a robot, right? And so God gave us free will. He gave us the opportunity to choose. And Adam and Eve, instead of just choosing to follow love of God, they're like, God, we don't want to do it your way. And they come over and they take and they eat. And sin entered the world. But praise God, he didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on us. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. But God hasn't given up on any of us here. God has been drawing you to himself. He's been pursuing you. He has been loving you. You know, when it came alive for me was when I was eight years old. When I was eight years old, I remember going uh, with my parents to a convenience store. And I, I was a good kid. I mean, I grew up in church. My parents are godly. They're amazing. And, and they would take me to church, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Back in those days, you know, we were there all the time. And, and I was a good kid. I knew the Bible stories. But I remember going to that convenience store, and I asked my parents if I could get some gum, and they said no. And so while they weren't looking, and nobody was looking, I went over to the bubble gum rack, and I grabbed a couple of pieces and put it in my pocket. And at eight years old, I remember getting home and thinking, oh, I got away with it, it's great. And I went to my room and I opened it up and I started to weep. I was like, I just stole this. And it was like sin just came alive for me. It wasn't something I read about. It was, that was me, that was my heart. And I started thinking, I can do this. If, if I'm gonna do this, what's gonna happen in my life? And, and I realized I'm broken. <laughs> I got down on my knees, and that was when I committed my life to Christ. And I said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I need you. I remember at eight years old being baptized. I still can remember it to this day, that defining moment for me. Now, my parents were great parents. They, they made me go back to the convenience store, and I had to give them the gum back, and then I had to pay for it. I didn't even get to keep it. You know, I was like, really? You know, but I did. And, but I learned. I'm like, I'm never stealing again, okay? I mean, I learned a lesson at eight, never do that. But I also learned, hey, in my life and in all of our lives, man, we need a Savior. We need a Savior. Because I saw in me what I had learned about with Adam and Eve, that, man, I can easily go over here and say, God, I don't want to do it your way. And that sin can come. You know, one of my favorite books of the Bible is Romans. <laughs> and Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Rome. And in Romans chapter 1, he talks about the total depravity of the Gentiles and all the Jews are like, yeah, right. You know, and then Romans 2, he's like, and the total depravity of the Jews. Yeah. And then Romans 3, he says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Romans 4, he's like, it's not by works. It's not going to make up. You're never going to be good enough. You can't fix it yourself. In Romans 5, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... We didn't get cleaned up. We didn't get perfect. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God for that truth. 
Praise God for his grace that while we still were sinners, he came to us. He came to us. But the fact is we live in a fallen world and hurt people hurt people. And I bet if you look back over your life, some of the pain that has been caused is because of sin. And maybe your own sin or, or maybe the sin of somebody else and the decisions that they made. You know, we're all one dumb decision away from wrecking our lives. I mean, really, we're all one dumb decision away from wrecking our lives and impacting the people around us. And we have to recognize, man, I need God's grace every day. God, I need to do it your way every day. I need to hold on to you every day because inside of me, there's this pull to go back and the carnal man. Here you go, number three. Determined to see difficulties is how God grows your faith. Determined to see difficulties is how God grows your faith. Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Perseverance. That's the way God grows us. God grows our faith through our difficulties. You know, if you want to get in shape physically, you go to the gym and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to work out. You know, give me the two-pound weights. Okay, and you leave. You're not going to get in shape. Right? We, we know that. You've got to go in and you've got to work at it. Physically, I mean, you've got to add some weight. You've got to push it up. You've got to get stronger. And you get stronger, right? You do. The more weight you add, the stronger you get. You can do more the next time and the next time and the next time. But spiritually, it's the same thing. Spiritually, it's in the difficulties and the challenges that we grow. Some of the deepest, most mature people I know spiritually have been through some really hard things. A lady, Miss Debbie, oh man, I love Miss Debbie. Miss Debbie had MS. She had lupus on top of her MS. And here she is, the mom of teenagers. And here she is. Every time I'd go visit her in the hospital, I'd walk in and I'd say, Miss Debbie, how are you doing? She goes, oh, don't worry about me. How are you doing? I'm fine. No, no, no. She goes, listen, what do you want me to pray for? I've got plenty of time right now. I'm just praying right What do you want me to pray for? How can I pray for you? She had more joy than anybody I've ever met in my life. And I just thought, I want that. <laughs> I want that. You see, it's in the struggles, it's in the difficulties that we go, okay, God, you're with me. You're for me. You are growing me. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. You know that? We're more interested in our comfort, right? We want our air conditioning, you know. We got a lot of it today. We want, you know, we want our comforter. We want, you know, to curl up in the bed. But God's more interested in growing our character. God's more interested in making us a man or a woman after his heart. God's more interested in making us a godly father or mother or grandparent. God's more interested in the person that we're becoming. And that happens sometimes through the challenges and through the difficulties. Here's the thing, we all face difficulties and the question becomes, are we allowing our difficulties to draw us closer to God or to push us away from him? Are we allowing those difficulties to draw us closer to God or push us away from him? The apostle Paul, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says in verse seven, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, so that I become prideful as like the super apostle, right? I, God's like, I don't want you to be conceited. I want you to be humble. 
Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, a lot of biblical scholars have tried to figure out what this was for Paul. I mean, people have thought, you know, he was going blind. His eyesight was failing because he wrote a couple of his letters, said, see my big handwriting. Uh, other people think that, you know, because he was beaten for his faith, he was having a limp and he was having a hard time walking. Uh, so other people think that Satan was tormenting him because of guilt. Remember, Paul persecuted Christians. I mean, before he became a Christ follower, he like persecuted Christians. Can you imagine? I mean, you're going out and sharing the gospel and Satan's going, you remember what you did? <laughs> you remember what you did in the past? This torment, this thorn in my flesh. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, and this is red letter, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. It's like, think about my grace. Think about what I've done for you. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. He's like, I'm gonna boast about my weakness so I grow stronger in Christ. I'm gonna boast. You know why Christians, why we go through challenges or difficulties? How else could we share the gospel with other people? I mean, everybody's broken. Everybody goes through challenges. So when we go through those challenges, people look at us and say, how are you different? How do you face that with grace? How do you face that with love? How do you face that with joy? Because I'm going through the same thing. Thought it'd be something different in us. I have a good friend and walked with him for about 10 years through bladder cancer. And watched some of the treatments. I mean, it was tough. And it was hard. He's been in remission for about five years now. And I asked him a while back, I said, man, I know that was a tough time in your life. And he said, you know what? I'd go through it again. I was like, what? He goes, I've never felt closer to God. I've never felt closer to my family. I've never in my life realized what's important and what's not. He goes, that was the time that God really showed me. And he goes, it was hard and it was difficult, but man, God was with me every step of the way. Here's number four. Number four, realize God will bring an end to our difficulties one day. Realize God will bring an end to our difficulties one day. He says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. We will be made perfect one day. In heaven, we will be mature and complete. A lot of times our challenges, we have such short-sightedness, right? We just see these 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this earth, but there is eternity to come. And when we get to heaven, you know what the first thing God's gonna do? He says he's gonna wipe away every tear from our eye. And there is no more pain. There is no more suffering. It is perfect. It's like God created it. It's like he designed it perfect. There is no pain. And God's going to wipe away those tears and the hardships that we've faced. And he's going to say, welcome home. You are healed. You are alive, fully alive. Guys, God can deliver us from the trial or through the trial. God can deliver us from the trial. I've talked to the people in here. And you go to the doctor and they say, hey, we have to do a biopsy. And we pray like crazy and the biopsy comes back and it's benign. And they're like, oh, 
God can deliver us from that. God can deliver us through the trial. And my friend, through the trial of God working in our hearts and our lives, but ultimately, guys, he will deliver all of us from all the trials in eternity. Ultimately, one day, we're all going to stand before God. Ultimately, one day, we're going to stand before him. And so the question becomes this. Do we trust God completely? Do we trust God with the good? And do we trust God with the challenges? Do we trust God completely with everything in us? You know, in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 3, there were these three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three guys, right, they were taken from their home, and they were off into exile. Nebuchadnezzar came in and conquered, you know, the the area of Israel and took off the best of the best. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these young men who were strong, and he said, hey, you're going to be in my service now. They had to leave their families, everything. Can you imagine that? And here these young men are, and, and they're serving the king. And then one day, one day, Nebuchadnezzar builds this giant statue. It says, everybody in the kingdom, when you hear the horns and the flutes, you bow down and worship the statue. And the horns and the flutes go off, and everybody in the kingdom bows down and worships. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are like, nope, not going to do it. They get called in before Nebuchadnezzar. He's like, hey, guys, hey, I just want you to know what's going to happen to you. I am going to throw you in the fiery furnace. You will die unless you bow down and worship this. I'm going to give you one more chance. Let's try it again. Horns, flutes, we're not going to bow down. And I love the response. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, our God can deliver us. He can deliver us. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow down to your idols. He is still our God. And we're going to trust him completely. Nebuchadnezzar is so mad. He orders the furnace to be heated up seven times. He binds them, you know, and they're bound and they're taken by guards and they go to throw them in the furnace and the guards are consumed with the flames because it's so hot and they're there in the furnace and then Nebuchadnezzar's looking and he sees them that the things have burned off their hands and now they're just walking around and he goes, weren't there three that we threw in there? Why are there four in the furnace? And there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around with the pre-incarnate Christ Jesus in the middle of the fire. And they are not consumed. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, get them out. I'm worshiping that God. I'm worshiping that God. That's what God could do. Do you trust him completely? you trust him not only with the good things? Do you trust him with the challenges? God, you're doing something bigger than I can see, bigger than I can imagine. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Hey, don't lose heart. Whatever you're going through, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. We're getting older. Our physical bodies are wearing out. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We're getting stronger, guys. We're getting stronger in the Lord for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 
Praise God. God's got this. Whatever you're facing, he's got it. Trust him. Trust him. And then the last one, therefore, leverage your difficulties for the glory of God. Guys, leverage your difficulties for the glory of God. What does he say? If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Ask God, God, what are you trying to teach me? When you go through difficulties, and we all will, when we go through challenges, and we all will, or we all are, instead of saying, God, just get me out of this, say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? Then, when it comes to difficulties, pray. That should be the time that drives us to our knees. We see our need for God. Rely. Rely on the people around you. I saw an email this week from a guy in our church whose father passed away last week, and he just emailed all of his community group and said, thank you guys. I don't know how I would have made it without you. Over these last few years with my dad, Thank you for always being there. Guys, I don't know how people make it in life without Jesus. I mean, where's the hope? I also don't know how people make it without community, without church, the body of Christ. Where's the help? Forgive. Some of you, there's difficulties in your life that were caused by people, and you need to forgive. Anne Lamont says, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. And so many times in our lives, we have this bitterness and this resentment and this anger, and it builds up inside of us. And the other person, they don't even know, but man, it's eating us alive. Forgive and then minister. Minister. Out of your hurt and out of your pain, you can minister. You can make a difference. Your misery can become your ministry. Your misery can become your ministry. There's people in our church who lead divorce care. And people are walking through divorce and, and these people who lead it are amazing and they're godly and they've walked through divorce themselves. And who else better to lead that class and to help people say, hey, keep your eyes on Christ. 